What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Be Safe Daily. And I've got a question for you. You want the good news first or the bad news first? I'm going to give you the bad news. The bad news, Johan Oviedo still seeking his first Major League win. The good news is he doesn't really care because the Cardinals win this game behind an excellent outing from Mr. Oviedo. Seven innings of shutout baseball going toe-to-toe with former Cardinal Sandy Alcantara of the Miami Marlins, who had a great outing himself, but the Cardinals eventually get to him in the ninth inning and win this game 1-0 on Wednesday, June 16th, a walk-off by Yadier Molina. After all these years, still getting it done in key situations, and you just had a feeling if the bullpen, despite the fact that your three aces of relief had been used on Monday and Tuesday consecutively with Genesis Cabrera, Giovanni Gallegos, Alex Reyes both being burned for two consecutive days. You just felt like if the Cardinals' bullpen could find a way to get it to the ninth, the Cardinals could bring it home once they got into the Miami bullpen. However, Miami didn't end up needing to go to their bullpen because Sandy Alcantara was just that efficient. He was under 100 pitches, no reason for him not to start the ninth inning, but the Cardinals had a couple of other instances in this game of trying to small ball their way to a run and each time they failed to get it done but in the ninth they executed and they come through with the Adier Molina single would have been a double probably if it were a regulation play but he obviously just needed to get to first base because Paul Goldschmidt at second was scoring with ease on the ground ball hit just fair inside of third base and trickling into the left field corner Cardinals get it done that's a walk off for the second consecutive day Paul Goldschmidt, interestingly enough, scoring the winning run both times. When I saw Sandy Alcantara, first of all, was on the hill for Miami, I said, first of all, I said, oh crap, let me check my fantasy lineup because I don't think I updated the league where I have him on my roster. Sure enough, left him on my bench, so I sent out the tweet, apologies to Cardinals fans, Alcantara's probably about to shove because I left him on my fantasy bench. Sure enough, he did exactly that. And I was impressed by the Cardinals' ability, again, you're not that impressed by one run that you score in the ninth inning, only six hits on the day, but given my expectations coming in, I just feel like Alcantara, first of all, I think he's an ace-caliber arm, one of the bright young arms of the National League, and I think he's going to be around for a long time and be really good for a long time. Cardinals, probably in retrospect, have to regret the trade that sent him there from St. Louis, not to mention the fact that Mag Sierra, who's getting some playing time for Miami, that's probably one you can live with because he, while he is a major leaguer, he's not really a impactful hitter. Good defender, made a really nice play on a ball. Matt Carpenter hit into kind of the right center field gap, not quite into the gap. It was more center than right, but I noticed Mags was playing relatively shallow and he's just, it's going to be really difficult. You're going to have to hit a ball to the warning track if you're going to burn him. He's got such amazing speed. But his OPS for the season, only 588, so not an outfield bat that you're necessarily clamoring for. Despite the fact that the Cardinals are finding it difficult to field a full outfield these days, Jose Rondon played right field, began the game in right field, ended up moving into second base due to an injury to Edmundo Sosa, which is something we're going to need to talk about and update you guys on as well, but closing my thoughts on the the trade itself, Marcelo Zuna 
goes to the Marlins, or pardon me, goes from the Marlins to the Cardinals. And at the time, guys like Alcantara and Sierra and Zach Gallen, who's been on the injured list this season for the Arizona Diamondbacks, but has turned into an absolute stud in his own right. I'm actually glad I thought to mention him because I just Googled him to check out some of his stats, and I found a headline stating that he'll be returning to the rotation for Arizona on Thursday, which is good because I'll, I do have him on another fantasy team. I play in way too many leagues, but I like those young pitchers, and Zach Allen's a guy I traded for in a league, and so I, I'll have to remember to take him off of my injured list after I finish up doing the podcast here. But over the course of his career now, just a little more in-depth on the, the Marcelo Zuna trade, Gallen has essentially, in parts of three seasons, now compiled one full season's worth of statistics, 32 starts, and over that time, 2.82 earned run average in 178 and two-thirds innings with 210 career strikeouts. So you compile that over the course of a single season, that's a frontline starter as well. We know what Sandy Alcantara has been able to do for Miami. I'm not entirely sure why Miami flipped Gallon to Arizona. I guess that comes in the Jazz Chisholm trade, and Chisholm has turned into a pretty solid player for the Marlins, definitely somebody from an offensive perspective they're going to look to build around. So I guess both teams end up getting what they want out of that deal, but certainly with the capacity that Zach Gallon has shown, might be some regret there for the Marlins, but definitely more for the Cardinals when you look at the fact that Ozuna was decent for a couple seasons for you, and you think about having given up Gallon and Alcantara, legitimately two guys that could prove to be ace-caliber pitchers in this league, give up Sierra. Again, starting outfielders don't grow on trees, but he's probably not the guy you're missing from that from that deal. And then Daniel Castano, actually, is the fourth player the Cardinals sent in the trade, and he's pitched for the Marlins over the last couple of seasons, ERA in 10 starts of 3.83 in 47 innings. So seems like he's a little bit behind those other two, probably more than a little bit. But just the mere fact that he's also logged some big league experience. This season, he's made four starts with a 5.19 earned run average, so not quite as impactful. But he was the fourth guy in the deal. And that was a deal at the time that I said, you know, I understand the Cardinals making it, and I think it's a good deal. But I did I did say, and I wrote this, I think, the day it happened, that while the Cardinals didn't give up any of their chief prospects in the trade, which that ends up being a whiff because while they didn't, the, the guys they did give up turned out to be pretty darn good. So I, I was wrong from that perspective, but it was definitely dealing from depth that at the time I, I thought and everybody thought the Cardinals could afford to trade from. That was when you still had Jack Flaherty as a prospect. You still had Luke Weaver at that time, who actually ranked ahead of Flaherty in the Cardinals' 2016 top prospect rankings. Alex Reyes was obviously on that list still, but was going through injuries at that time. I'm looking back now at 2016 because if, if I view 2017, it doesn't show me the traded players to see kind of where they ranked in, but you can imagine even in the 2017 rankings before those the, the trade was made, which it was, I believe, in the winter of 2017, so pretty early, so those guys were shipped out of the organization. But anyway, you look at where those prospects ranked at the time for the Cardinals, and this is MLB Pipeline that I'm checking out, 2016, back in the uh, archive, which I've done this previously this season, the last time I noticed Gallon and Alcantara just straight dealing. 
But at the time, you had Sierra was your number six prospect. Edmundo Sosa, actually, number seven. Junior Fernandez, though, Jack Flaherty and Luke Weaver, as well as Alex Reyes, all ranking above Sandy Alcantara at that time. Alcantara was kind of a coin flip with Dakota Hudson, who was ranked number 10, one spot behind Sandy. And then you scroll down even further on the list, recognizing some other names like Randy Rosarena, Paul DeYoung, Jake Woodford was on there, Marco Gonzalez still in the organization at that time. He was traded for Tyler O'Neill shortly thereafter. you got to go all the way down to 22 to find Zach Gallen. And listen, you can sometimes look down toward the bottom of these lists and see guys that eventually make their way into the very top of the list. It just hasn't been their time to shine as of yet. Like Dylan Carlson at the time was 19. Ultimately, he's the Cardinals' number one prospect until he graduated from that status. I assume he's done so by now. I know he was a rookie coming into the season, but I'm sure by now he's eclipsed 150 at-bats. But Austin Gomber was number 18. There's other guys near the bottom of these lists, if you go year to year, that eventually develop into top prospects for organizations. That stands to reason. John Gant was down there at number 26. He'll be the starter for the Cardinals against the Atlanta Braves, the team he used to pitch for until he came over in the Jaime Garcia trade, actually, which is interesting that that's still making an impact five, five or so, four or five years later because that was a guy you, you weren't really thinking too much about when he departed the Cardinals organization. And John Gann ends up sticking around and making a pretty nice little career for himself as one of the more veteran-most pitchers on the Cardinals staff. But anyhow, if you're looking at, okay, the Cardinals needed an outfielder that offseason, that was when Giancarlo Stanton didn't want to come here, and so they eventually settled for Marcelo Zuna because they were told by the Marlins that Christian Yelich wasn't being traded. Of course, Christian Yelich was traded shortly thereafter, to the Brewers, which is why anytime I see it discussed that, well, Yelich wasn't available. Well, okay, make a different decision then. Anticipate that the Marlins are going to Marlins and decide that he is available. Wait till he is and make an offer or make such a good offer that you end up getting him. That was always my stance on, on that because I saw at the time that Yelich was better than Ozuna. But nevertheless, you are probably talking about more significant prospects that would have been included in a Yelich trade eventually or if you were going to try to force the Marlins' hands at that point to to make a move of the future MVP outfielder Christian Yelich. Although, that might have been okay, because, yeah, maybe you lose Jack Flaherty or Luke Weaver, but then, which, again, Flaherty would be a much more significant departure than Weaver, though Weaver ends up being used to get Paul Goldschmidt, and that's worked out pretty decently as well. But if if you don't end up trading Gallon and Alcantara, maybe they end up in the rotation, and you're pretty glad to see that you've got those guys locked down for years to come. But honestly, it's hard to play a butterfly effect because knowing the way things seem to go with the Cardinals, they've they've especially in that timeline from like 2016 to 2020, it always seemed like there were the guys who were ahead in the pecking order in the rotation. And even if they were solid arms, they might not have been as good as the ones that were being blocked. And so... You saw trades like Marco Gonzalez being moved. Again, nobody's complaining about that today with Tyler O'Neill OPSing above 900. But he's turned out to be a really quality left-handed starter and in the American League, no less, which is sometimes a little more difficult for pitchers because you do face the DH on a regular basis. But the reality of the matter was that the Cardinals in that offseason were absolutely trying to, and they were going to, acquire a marquee name of an outfielder. They needed one. They needed to make an impact move. Okay, so they traded for Ozuna. I said, well, that's not quite as impactful of a move, but you did hang on to 
your higher-ranked prospects in the organization, whatever that ends up meaning, and we've since found out what that means. But at the time, that was considered you know, a positive to be able to hang on to some of those bigger names, which Flaherty and, and Luke Weaver at the time certainly were. But I remember saying this in the article that I wrote that day. This trade needs to be a precursor for another significant move of the same caliber if the Cardinals are going to reach the destination they hope to reach. And they didn't ultimately make the postseason in 2018 after not making any deals besides the Ozuna deal, significant ones to add to the lineup that offseason. That was actually end of 2017. And so that's why I'm frustrated I can't get the 2017 prospect rankings with those names mixed in because for all that summer, you did have those guys listed as Cardinals, talking about Sierra, Alcantara, and Zach Gallen, but because they were traded before the end of the 2017 calendar year, they ended up on some Marlins list as far as the archives are concerned. I guess I could go look at the Marlins list. That would actually be kind of fun. I'm going to do that. And I guess at that point, I would need the 2017 Marlins list. I pull up the 2016 one, and immediately two names jump out at me. Their number one prospect in 16 was Braxton Garrett, who started and lost on Monday night, I believe it was, to the Cardinals this week. Number five prospect at the time, Austin Dean, current Cardinal. All right, let's get to 2017. So there it is. Instantly, Sandy Alcantara becomes their number three prospect behind only Monte Harrison and Lewis Brinson, who were at the time big-time names as far as prospects were concerned among outfielders. Mag Sierra, number seven, and Zach Gallen, number 18 in 2017. So give you an idea for where those guys sat on those lists for the Marlins and have obviously turned into something special, especially the two pitchers, Gallon and Alcantara. It was just one of those deals, though, where the Cardinals had to make a move, and because they didn't make the secondary move to really signify they were going all in on contending in 2018, and then you obviously had the issues with the manager, the Athenians of getting fired in the middle of that season. That's why I think you really can look at it with a sour lens because, yeah, you added Ozuna in 2018, wasn't enough to get to the postseason, and so was it really worth making a move just to make a move, but in the process of doing so, sacrifice some significant pieces that could have either helped you in other trades down the road once they had revealed the extent of their talents or could actually be still part of your pitching staff today. Just kind of an interesting thought exercise to explore. I thought at the time, yes, this is a nice move to get Ozuna, but it's not enough to make the Cardinals necessarily favorites in the division and if you're going to if you're going to spend some young guys to be able to try to improve the present day roster you might as well spend enough of them to actually get you somewhere but ultimately and, and free agency by the way was probably the other option I think the Cardinals should have explored that offseason to supplement the roster nevertheless they're in the position they're in right now they face Sandy Alcantara on Wednesday but let's talk about Johan Oviedo because he did a really nice job to be able to to match Alcantara as close as possible over the course of seven innings. He was tremendous as far as throwing strikes was concerned. You know, that's been a problem for him. You go back to last year, and it's such an interesting track and development for Johan Oviedo, who was kind of thrown into the fire a little bit in 2020. And I've talked about this before on the podcast, but just the idea that he probably wasn't 
touching a major league mound in 2020 under many other circumstances, but because of the craziness of the COVID season and the, the losses to the depth and you had, you had to dig pretty deep into your arsenal for starting pitchers. He gets the call after really an underwhelming season in 2019 in Springfield when he had a ERA that season as a 21 year old in Springfield, a 4.72 ERA for the season but that was it was even a little worse in Springfield. That was buoyed by a couple nice games, I believe, at Palm Beach, which was which was the high A affiliate at the time. ERA was over five in 2019 at the highest level he had pitched in Double A. But he goes straight from that to the majors, where he ends up with an ERA about five and a half. But did that over the course of five starts and held his own. You know, and the the team would not ever admit this because you don't want to denigrate a guy, especially a guy who's got a very bright future in your organization. But he just really had no business being on the mound, a major league mound in 2020. He wasn't ready for that and and did the best that he could under the circumstances and rose to the occasion, in my opinion. Like, by the end of his tenure with the 2020 Cardinals, you weren't necessarily thinking he, had, he was doing a great job. Every time he went out to start, it was probably a doubleheader or whatever the, the situation was where you just felt like, man, if he could just give you four innings, and keep you in the game, maybe you got a chance to win. But the Cardinals didn't win when he was on the mound last season. Like, not even once. The team was 0-5 in his five starts in 2020, and then you flash forward to 2021, the first four times he appears in a game, three of those were starts, the Cardinals lost those games as well. It wasn't until May 28th against Arizona that Johan Oviedo started a major league game and the Cardinals won it, but still didn't get the major league win, that he'd been seeking. Then he loses his next two starts against Cincinnati and Chicago earlier in June after he was pretty well clearly a part of the rotation given all the injuries that had happened. But today he pitches his best game of his life as far as as a big leaguer. There's no question about that. Going seven innings blows out of the water anything he had done previously. It doesn't give up any runs in this game, but still doesn't get the win. That's kind of a Kind of a bummer, but he said after the game, you know, it's he's just anything to give the team a chance to win. He wasn't in the in the mood to, to wax poetic about, you know, not getting that, that official victory, which I think it's another example of how backwards the, the win stat is. I know starting pitchers value it because most of the time you'll find that if 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 you performed a certain way, you'll get what you what you figure you deserve. Like if you leave with a lead even if you didn't pitch your best, you left with a lead. I can understand that's a win. You, you did what you needed to do on that day to help your team win the game as long as the bullpen holds it. In this case, nobody scored. That's not Alcantara's fault. He pitched seven shutout innings. Now, Ryan Helsley did a really good job finishing up the eighth inning for Andrew Miller, who recorded a couple of outs but walked a guy. And then Hells came in, got the last out in the eighth, and then came through with a scoreless inning in the ninth. He ends up getting the win to improve to 4-4 four and four on the season. ERA down to 5.86. He's had a couple of blow-up games that have impacted the earned run average for Ryan Helsley. But great to see both Miller and Helsley get the job done today over the course of two combined innings on a day where you just simply weren't going to see Cabrera, Gallegos, or Reyes. As I mentioned earlier, that's really a, a key for the Cardinals in this win. But Oviedo, I said this on Twitter, if they did game balls like they do in the NFL, Oviedo would have gotten the game ball today for the Cardinals, despite the fact that he did not get the official win to his ledger. 
what he did do is pound the strike zone, though, with 63 strikes out of 87 pitches. That's the highest rate, I believe, by a Cardinal this season. He, or If it's not, it's close. He was really good. Four strikeouts, not, not mind-blowing, but ends up walking zero batters. That's the key. Did give up his share of hits with six over the course of seven innings, but he was able to work around those. He looked really good over the first three innings, gets through the minimum, and at that point I said, okay, I'm not saying anything because the last time I said, wow, if he can just give the Cardinals three more innings like he just threw when he pitched at Wrigley over the weekend, the the Cardinals are going to win this game because then they can go to their bullpen and the, the offense will eventually step up. But as it happened in that Wrigley game, he did not pitch three more innings like the first three and the Cardinals lost in fantastical fashion. It was not ideal, and people were mad about that. And I said, listen, I said if, if he pitches three more innings. But today, knowing that I just didn't want to deal with that on a Wednesday afternoon, I said, I'm not saying anything. And turns out maybe maybe I was the jinx, because Johan Oviedo finishes seven strong innings. Or perhaps, stay with me for a minute, perhaps the Marlins are just not very good. Is that possible? Cardinals get a huge sweep over the Miami Marlins. Yachty doing his thing. There's not a lot to say about the offense. We talked about the fact that Alcantara was dealing against them today, and he just feels like one of those pitchers that is going to have the Cardinals number for years to come. And you had Rondon get on base, steal second, wild throw, takes him to third base, but then DeYoung strikes out. Like You had a few instances like that earlier on in the game where the Cardinals could have maybe maximized their chances against Sandy a little bit sooner than they did, but given the way that Alcantara was dealing today, not necessarily too big of a surprise. You know, sometimes you had Tyler O'Neill; he got caught stealing a base to end an inning trying to make something happen. There were just a few instances, but not a whole lot to speak of with regard to scoring chances, which is why it's a great thing the Cardinals were able to get it done in the ninth, and they did so with the benefit of an error. I got to look. I don't even know if that run was earned. Uh, yeah, it was not earned against Alcantara because Goldsmith reached base via error and ends up that he comes around to score on the Yachty base hit later in the inning. So not a, not a nice way for Sandy Alcantara to pick up a loss today. It's a complete game technically, I guess, right? Because he was he, he pitched the whole game. I wonder what the statistic is on that. Eight and a third inning. Do you get a complete game if you don't finish the game? Like, if you if, if the game ends on a walk-off and you lose? I'm sure it would have to be. I don't know any other way that you could possibly score it. But, yeah, not ideal for him. But, you know, he does play for the Marlins. And the Marlins just don't have a whole lot of offense going for them right now. I think Chisholm could be a good player for them for the future. But looking through their starting lineup today, other than Jazz Chisholm, whose OPS has dropped to 789, you hope he can stick around as the caliber of player they believe that he can be. But elsewhere, I'm just going to read off the OPS numbers. 627, 250, 665, 385, 585, 588, and 000. That's really bad. Like, they just don't have a lineup at all. Jesus Aguilar was not in the lineup today. He's probably been a little better than, than that, one of their better hitters. But... Yeah, otherwise, not a whole lot to speak of offensively for the Marlins. And so the Cardinals did what they needed to have done against them, right? Like, you play who you play. We've talked about this before. You've got to be able to beat up on the bad teams. And boy, do I have some news for you, Cardinals fans. The Cardinals are about to play a lot more bad teams over the course of the the remainder of June. 
this is time for the Cardinals to be able to make back some of those losses they had during the, the treacherous losing skid, losing 11 out of 13. They play four against the Atlanta Braves this weekend, and that's as difficult as it's going to get for the remainder of June. The Braves are at 30 and 34 as of this recording. They're currently in progress against the Boston Red Sox. But four games below 500, definitely some similarities between them and the Cardinals with the injuries and issues that they've gone through this season. You're going to their place. I say, and I'm going to tell you by the end of this little rant I'm going to do on the upcoming schedule, what I think the Cardinals need to accomplish over the course of their next 13 games prior to the end of this June schedule. Four against Atlanta, just split, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna try to give the benefit of the doubt wherever I can and say just split two out of four. You don't you don't get killed at that point. But if you do split, if you can't win the series against Atlanta, you've got to go after the off day on Monday and sweep the Detroit Tigers in the two game series up in Detroit. So out of out of the six games, right? Four games against Atlanta, two against Detroit. You got to win four. Four out of six is what I'm prescribing for the Cardinals. And speaking of Detroit, talking about how the Braves are as difficult as it's going to get over this stretch, 29-39 and 39 is the record of Detroit coming into the recording of this podcast. So 10 games below 500. they They're not a good team. I know they've got some good pitchers. Maybe if you line up against one of, one of those, you might be in a little bit of trouble. But again, just beat the Braves then if you're not planning to sweep two out of two against Detroit. Four out of six is what I'm saying for the next six. And then you come back home and you get the Pittsburgh Pirates over the weekend for a four-game series. It just does not get any any better than that. The Pirates are a dumpster fire. They're terrible. They would be the worst team in baseball if not for the existence of the Arizona Diamondbacks, who, by the way, then come to Bush Stadium for three games after the Pirates series. So you've got Pittsburgh for four, Arizona for three to finish up the June schedule. For those seven games, there's no excuse not to win five. If you can take three of four from the Pirates and even just two of three from Arizona, that's five and two. Add that to the four and two stretch against Atlanta and Detroit that I just said they ought to be able to handle. That's nine out of 13, and that seems so very doable at this point in time for the Cardinals. They'd be in a really good spot after that with the way the Cubs and Brewers have been losing potentially the Cubs lose today, you end up in a situation where, and I know they're playing the New York Mets, the Cubs are right now, but I believe Jacob deGrom has left that game with an injury, which should be a surprise to nobody, and I don't mean to to make light of that, but it's it's just the fact of the matter that the guy has not been able to stay healthy this season. But if they lose this game to the Mets, the Cardinals basically just erased the, the series sweep at Wrigley over the course of three games against the Marlins. Like, it's a lot easier to do it when you face the actual team because you don't control your own destiny when they're playing a a, a totally different opponent. But if they get swept and you perform a sweep, it's just as good. And so that would be really important if the Cardinals can climb back within two games of Chicago and then have this really easy stretch coming up. Again, 9 out of 13, I don't think there's any reason to think that that's not doable for the Cardinals. I feel like at every turn, I gave them the benefit of the doubt. I said, it's okay, you don't have to even win the series against the Braves, but do go ahead and sweep Detroit if you don't. Like, even if they can't do that, even if they split with Detroit and they split with Atlanta and can, and then can do the 5 out of 7 against the, the Pirates and the Arizona Diamondbacks, which I believe on the last night podcast, 
I said Arizona was over the weekend, or one of the recent shows I said that was a weekend series. I was wrong about that. It's the Pirates before Arizona comes into town. So if you hear that episode and we're screaming at your at your audio player, I apologize. I got that one wrong. But to me, this ends up being a real pivotal stretch for the Cardinals. You you get those 9 out of 13, and then you can turn the calendar to July, where things do get tougher eventually, just not right away, because then you it is on the road, but you go to Colorado. The Rockies are not a good team either. And so maybe you win two out of three there before you have to head on to San Francisco and the Chicago Cubs to wrap things up before the All-Star break. Those are two very difficult series. I'm not going to mince words about that at all. San Francisco has been a really good team this year, having the best winning percentage in the National League and just behind the White Sox for the best winning percentage right now in all of baseball. So that's going to be a tough series for sure at AT AT&T Park, if they even still call it that. I'm not going to look it up. I don't care enough. It's Miller Park in Milwaukee. It's AT&T Park in San Francisco. That's just, at some point, the name's latched in my head, and I'm I'm refusing to uh, to update. So there you have it. But yeah, if you can, if you're if you're the Cardinals, you have to be able to beat up on these bad teams. They did exactly what they were supposed to do against the Marlins this week. Really good to see one turn through the rotation almost complete with John Gant yet to go. But you had Carlos Martinez. Pitched really well Sunday night despite the loss. And then in the three-gamer against Miami this week, you had three really, really good starts. Yes, a few days ago I was talking about how Matthew Libertor needed to be pitching in this Miami series. That was assuming that they needed a starter. I didn't realize KK was going to be back so soon. But it's a darn good thing that that he was and that the Cardinals starters were able to tame that vicious uh, Miami lineup for the last three days to get themselves a little bit back to a baseline of where they expect to be. They're still in fourth place. It feels really weird to say they're still behind Cincinnati, which means I've got to issue another correction. I was looking at the third-place team being two and a half back and thinking if the Cubs lost, Cardinals would be two back. Cardinals would actually be three back because they are still behind Cincy in the division standings. I think Cincy definitely has uh, the look of a team with a little swagger right now, winning six in a row, but I think that... That could end up going by the wayside as they now get to head to San Diego for the next four games. So I think the Reds could end up coming back down to earth a little bit over the weekend. Cardinals need to make that their opportunity to go ahead and pass them. You're going to see these division rivals down the road, and, and those games are going to have to be won by St. Louis. But you'll do yourself a lot of favors if you go ahead and beat up on these bad teams while the Reds are playing other teams like the, the dang Padres. Go ahead and, and take your wins where you can get them. Worry about you know the schedule in July, August, and September when those months ultimately arrive. As for now, we'll see what the Cardinals are able to do this weekend, starting the early weekend in Atlanta with a game on Thursday. We'll be back with B-Shape Daily tomorrow to be able to break it all down late after that one. You get the East Coast game, so it won't be too late, not as late as some of the podcasts that I get up on these NL Central games, and certainly the West Coast games have been killing me when they were happening, especially during that losing streak. But we'll have the podcast after the Cardinals Braves on Thursday. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast feed so you never miss an episode of B-Shape Daily. Go ahead and do the thing over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or even Google Podcasts if you're feeling frisky. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening to this episode. We're going to take this opportunity to wrap things up right here, though, and talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace!